Greetings, Cyberspace, and welcome to the Double Density Podcast. This is episode two with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Angelo, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you, Brian? I'm surviving. As you, as I was mentioning to you, I uh, had a wisdom teeth, a tooth pulled yesterday, and it was, uh, it was a bit of a painful procedure, so I'm still on the mend from that. Yeah, that can't be pleasant. I'm supposed to have some removed, but it's been that way for about 15 years, and they haven't changed, so dentists keep saying, keep going, you're fine. So I'll be fine. Right. Well, in my case, what had happened is that in September 2015, it was a, it's the one on the bottom left, so those are harder to get out because the top ones, they're just gravity. You just yank and they fall out, right? Pleasant. Whereas the bottom ones, they need to finesse a little more. So unfortunately, um, they tried getting out in September 2015, but they didn't freeze me properly. So uh, it was one of the more painful experiences in my life. I think we're grossing out everybody who has a problem with dentists right uh, now. Apparently, yeah. So. And the other thing, too, is that this tooth had grown in sideways, so like almost like a horizontal tooth, so it was it was time to come out. So finally, it's out. I'm on the men. You know, I'm taking some mild painkillers. Everything's all good in the hood. That's good to hear. I take it you you had nothing um, that dramatic happen to you. No, I think I have a mild cold, but nothing that bad. Just a little tired from be having a cold, but that's what happens when you have children that sneeze on you. Well, they're just German commuters, really, right? Yeah, they're cute, though, so that helps. So uh, to follow up with uh, last episode, we were talking about uh, that game with the balls, and so we did some digging around. And funnily enough, the game actually originated um, on one of the Atari systems, and it's called MIDI Maze. Of all things, um, right? With my MIDI problems that I was having last week, it's kind of appropriate that it was called MIDI Maze because that's the issue I was having, a maze of MIDI problems with uh, iOS and my older keyboard. But uh, that seems to be still the same. I haven't really tried it on any other devices other than my phone, but I'm enjoying it in that GarageBand on the Mac, so I think I'll stick with that for now and then figure it out at a later date. So you're just going to keep it at a standstill for now? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, it was fine actually recording on the Mac, especially with that Rock Band keyboard I've been using. It's pretty good. So, And my kids seem to like it too. They can make some fun sounds on that. Do you don like a cape of sorts, like like a Phantom of the Opera style get up when you play? With the mask as well. Of course, it has to be the mask. It's really good. It keeps my my family at bay. They realize I'm working hard when I wear the mask. And at the same time, they can't touch the things that you have, right? So therefore, you cannot get as sick if they can't touch, um, you know, daddy's lair. Well, underneath the mask, I also have one of those gauze uh, face protectors that you get at the hospital. Oh, perfect. You're just you're just doubling down on the concept. I love this. I'm still catching a cold, though. So um, I actually... Um, uh, I just wanted to tell you, I got my, my podcast t-shirt that I was telling you about. My uh, accidental tech podcast t-shirt arrived. Remember I was telling you it was stuck at the border? Right, but, yes. Um, it arrived. It was in my mailbox. I'm pretty happy. And is it is it the rainbow one? Yeah, it's really nice. I really like it. Are, are you going to wear it out and about? Of course. Proudly. Proud nerd. I'm glad to hear that you're supporting the things you love. Yes. It's fun. And they, they um, I enjoy that show quite a bit. And speaking of podcasts, you actually have a bone to pick with me, apparently. So I, I was asking you this week uh, via the text messages uh, of how many podcasts to listen to, just to get an idea of uh, what I'm getting myself into, how, how my partner listens to podcasts, how many he listens, all the, all the experience he has with, uh, with the years of listening to podcasts. And I found out you listened to two podcasts, and you're quite behind on both of them. Two total, yes. Two total podcasts. I listen to two podcasts before I get to work in the morning. <laughs> so how many do you listen to per week? I actually don't have a number, but I, I mean, my, my Overcast app is completely filled with podcasts. I mean, just now in the queue, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
and then yeah no i can't count this many there's so many i have a lot i think there's an argument to be made on my behalf that there's a quality over quantity well no they're all quality podcasts i listen to though that's the thing like they're all really good shows they're quality to you not to uh like let's say like how many can you throw on your wife will be enthralled by that you will really like that your wife would listen oh, to. Oh, that my wife would listen to? Yeah. My wife. Like, none of these. There you go. Yeah, no. Going back to you and your horrible podcast um, listening, uh, to me, I equated it like joining a band with a guy who's basically heard two songs or listens to two bands, and that's it. And ironically enough, the reason I don't listen to many podcasts is I spend most of my time listening to music because um, some months ago, I finally caved and got a, speedy, a Spotify premium account, so I've spent a lot of my time rediscovering a lot of different bands that I, I haven't had the chance to listen to. So I, it's that. And also, um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, paranormal broadcaster Art Bell. So I have a huge archive of his old shows that I'll throw on. And I mean, on my phone right now, I probably have like six or seven gigs worth of, of shows from the mid nineties that I'm slowly making my way through. And I think you said you have about 65 gigabytes worth of yeah. Art Bell. <laughs> So I have 65 of his Coast to Coast experiences, and then I have the entirety of his serious show from 2013. And then I also have the four or five months that he did two years ago um, with Midnight in the Desert. That's a lot of Art Bell. I enjoy his style, even though over the years he's gotten a little more uh, particular, I guess would be the best word to use. He's a little kooky. But just a little kooky, and like he's a huge Trump supporter, and like, yeah, anyways... It's neither here or there. But yeah, I spend most of my time listening to two uh, music-related podcasts. So The Josta Show with Jamie Josta, who's the singer of this hardcore band, Hatebreed. But he gets a lot of really interesting interviews, so I really enjoy that. And then I also listen to the Waste of Time podcast with It's The Real. So it's these two brothers uh, from New York who interview important hip-hop figures. So that's a lot of fun. So they're two interview-based podcasts that I really enjoy. I'm glad that you can actually tie up the two podcasts to listen to and less than a minute whereas if i had to kind of describe every single show i listened to it would take us a few episodes so uh, apart from haranguing me for my um podcast listening habits uh i've also uh pleased you by coming over to the world of iphones yes that that i was very surprised and pleasantly when i uh, sent you a text message and i got a blue bubble Funnily enough, there have been a couple of friends who very immediately noticed, and it's not something I necessarily would have clued into, but I have two or three other friends who realized that um, my green went to blue, and they were very excited by this. That's a huge thing for us, I must say. When, uh, whenever you text someone and you get one of those garbage green bubbles, um, it's annoying because there's a lot of stuff you can't do via SMS. And then once the person has iMessage, and you see those blue bubbles, there's so much more that can be done. Especially you can tell when somebody's actually typing back at you and you can send the cool little stickers and all that fun stuff. Right. And for me, the thing is that um, I've always gravitated towards uh, Android, specifically Samsung phones, because uh, one, they were mostly cheaper phones. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean they're more affordable for my price range for what I wanted to do. Um, I have more control over what I have on my phone in terms of apps. Like, I can't delete a bunch of the apps on here. Yeah, there's the, I think they started letting you delete those now. You can actually remove them. So I, I got an SE a month ago, and I've, I've been trying to, and unfortunately, even with the latest update, I can't remove things like weather. Like, I don't want it. I thought you could remove them. Maybe you're just doing it wrong. No, I'm, I might be. I mean, I am an iPhone noob. I mean, I am no stranger to Mac products, but the iPhone is an entirely different world to me. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people like that that use Macs as their main uh, desktop computer and laptop, but then use Android uh, on the side. It's odd to me because they work so well together once you actually have both, but you can. It, it ends up working out. It's just hard to kind of get stuff from a Mac to a, an Android phone sometimes. Uh, it's not that bad. You can download. So for Samsung, they have a program called Kais that's really easy to use. And you can also um, go through all the system files if you need to remove anything. Whereas I recently plugged my iPhone into a PC in order to move some music files. And that was disastrous. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's, uh, that's Apple telling you, uh, get a better computer. Yeah, because it was really, it was something else. Like I couldn't, yeah, it was just. I don't know why they do that. I mean, just if you plug in an iPhone, it should just appear as another hard drive on the desktop. But I, I guess I can understand from a security point of view, they want to kind of lock that down. But it, it just would be nice if you can see it on the desktop instead of having to go through iTunes, which I understand iTunes for Windows is horrible. It's already terrible on the Mac. I can imagine how awful it is on Windows. Here's another nitpick, right? So we were just talking about podcasts. So if I uh, move a an MP3 that I'll download off the web, not an RSS feed, but like an actual MP3, because one of the podcasts I follow, they offer it's a it's a members only, and unfortunately they don't have an RSS feed for members only. Um, oh. So I download it and I move it to my phone and through iTunes, and then I say it's a podcast, then the actual file disappears. Oh, that's weird. There's no way for me to go and get it unless I'm on my phone on the podcast app and I can delete it from there. That's really weird. I don't, you see, I don't use uh, the uh, Apple's podcast app. So if you had Overcast and you had a premium membership, you'd be able to just stick it into the, your, your uploads and listen, it, listen to it through there, which is what I do with our show when you, when you send me the, the initial episode. I, I upload it to Overcast so I can listen to it on my podcast player. And uh, that's one of the apps where it would make it impossible for me to switch to Android because I, I don't know Android well at all. Uh, some, uh, you know how people s- ask me to do their tech support, and if somebody hands me an Android phone, I, I'm just at a loss. And it, it could be better than iOS. Uh, I mean, I have no idea. But for, for what I do, uh, just iOS works better uh, for me because... There's stuff like GarageBand and Overcast uh, and iCloud Photo Library, things I can't get on Android. And uh, I really like using iCloud Photo Library is uh, shockingly good, even though it has the word iCloud attached to it. There are a lot of apps that I really do enjoy. And um, I find the Touch ID is really cool. And not a lot of the Android phones right now have that. So I can do my banking pretty easily, which is really nice. Touch ID is really great. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's, an, it's a feature I can't ever... Uh, lose and all these rumors about the next iPhone having the touch ID on the back kind of freak me out because of the way I use my phone it's often on my desk at work and when I want to unlock it I just put my index finger I don't even use my thumb but I put my index finger pushing down on it and if it's on its if it's on the back it would be a little annoying I mean you'd get used to it people say it's fine on the Pixel and on the new Galaxy S8 they say it's okay but it's you, you, you get used to certain things right I don't know. We'll have to see what this uh, Jesus phone is going to be like in the fall that they're all <laughs> announcing. For the 10th anniversary? Yeah. I wonder what's uh, all these rumors. I hate these rumors because it just gets annoying because everybody's falling over themselves to freak out about what's going to happen. It's just a phone at the end of the day. Do you, like, I, and I know we joke about you being a fanboy, but, like, how often do you um, fall into this sort of thing? In terms of what? Into, like, into buying into Apple rumors. They're fun to look at, but they're 
certain you have to it depends who they come from right certain things they get them spot on but most of the time when they're spot on it's apple that leaked them anyway to kind of throw out a trial balloon and feel how it is like the whole uh no headphone jack last year came out that was an early rumor but i think it was apple that sent it out just to see how people would react and they realized okay we better include an adapter in the box for free otherwise people are going to lose their minds speaking of non-transparent or uh, fake news uh, we've also been talking about the Wiki Tribune. Yeah. Which is a new website, which is uh, fact-based journalism. I don't think it's completely... Uh, I think the website right now is just explaining what it's going to be, right? And uh, they're talking about how many journalists they're hiring. Uh, do you, do they have a date up for when it's actually going to be available? Well, uh, they have a funding drive right now, and it goes to the end, or like sort of the end of May, and, and they're still collecting funds for... Uh, so Wiki Tribune is a new kind of news platform where they're hoping to uh, crowdsource uh, news as well as be able to see sources behind facts. Um, and, you know, they're hoping to sort of build a community behind it. But yeah, they're still, uh, they're still collecting money um, to be able to... I think it's a good way to, to kind of combat all the fake news out there. Uh, but I don't think the people that need it the most are actually going to seek out Wiki Tribune. No, no. They're just going to be content with what they have in their Facebook echo chamber. And um, that that's what we've discussed as being the backfire effect, right? When you uh, try to convince somebody of something and you just reinforce what their thinking was to begin with. Right. And um, it's something we've come across in the, the fun paranormal forums we like to hang out in every once in a while. Although I haven't done that in years at this point. But uh, I know you were a big fan of the Above Top Secret uh, forums, oh. right? Oh my gosh, was I ever, but uh, when I go now, it just, it just fills me with sadness uh, when I go through there. But it's funny that you mentioned the backfire effect, because I was talking to a friend this afternoon who was having an argument with a person he knows in real life, but the argument was on Facebook, about flat earth, you know, the flat earth theory. Oh yeah, because I mean, it's not like we have pictures from outer space. Well, you know, their biggest argument is, you know, if you take a ship to sea, and then uh, it broaches the horizon at one point that you... Uh, you know, if the Earth weren't flat, then why can you still see it? <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, like, okay, if the, it's called math, and it's called reason, and it's called uh, a series of facts that would explain how eventually you probably wouldn't be able to see the ship anymore. It's, it's sort of sad that people still kind of believe that the Earth is flat, even though, what, we figured it out in the 1400s, if not before that with the Vikings, right? Yeah, exactly. And we have pictures from space. Well, we have pictures and we have diagrams. And so I told my friend, what you should just do is get him a shovel, tell him to start digging, because eventually he'll just fall out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's flat. I think it's good card. It's good card stock, though, we're built on. There's a surprising amount of people, actually, who believe in the flat earth theory. It's been coming up a lot. I've been hearing that uh, a lot in, uh, as you know, I listen to some podcasts, and they, they talk about that stuff. Uh, and so a few of the shows, I think I find Joe Rogan brings it up a lot, although I don't really listen to a show that often unless there's like an interesting guest. And I uh, mean, the last time I watched Joe Rogan was the Alex Jones interview a couple of months ago. I think he was on episode nine eleven. Yeah, he was. And le- <laughs> well, the thing is that Alex, Alex Jones and Joe Rogan go back a ways, right? Like they've known each other for almost 20 years at this point. So it was kind of weird to watch old friends hang out like old chums. Yeah, because and, and Joe seemed to be. Uh, reining him in a few times because i think joe gets that he's sometimes kind of loses it on the on air although i i think he does believe what he says right so joe actually uh says that 
Alex Jones believes what he says. It's just that when he's in his studio on the radio on TV, he kind of emphasizes everything and uh, over re- overdoes it. He overreacts about everything just for show. And I think that's what he's proving, trying to prove now with his uh, court case. I don't know if you've read anything about. I've read a bit. I've I've listened to a few shows talking about him. He's he's a bit off the rocker. Apparently, during the deposition phase, he couldn't remember the names of his children due to hot chili he had previously eaten during the day. Yeah, because I forget the name of my kids all the time after hot chili, and uh, I had hot dogs tonight. Anything with hot in the name makes you forget your children's uh, names. It's a scientific fact. It's it you know it's it's flat Earth in one corner, and then forgetting your children's name when you eat hot substances in the other. Exactly. Next week on Double Density. Bob the Printer reveals all. Double Density. Welcome back here to the Double Density Podcast. And uh, we're going to talk about something that you and Angela and I are both big fans of, which is, of course, UFOs. So... On April 24th, the New York Times published an article by Ralph Blumenthal called People Are Seeing UFOs Everywhere, and this book proves it. Everywhere. So basically, it's this couple from Syracuse, New York, uh, Cheryl and Linda Costa. So they're in their 60s, and they spent the last 16 months um, putting together just a book of facts. And I use the term facts very loosely, as we'll get into in a sec. Uh, So basically what it is, is that it's two volunteer organizations, so the Mutual UFO Network, as well as the uh, National UFO Reporting Center, who and it's run by, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, um, this guy named Peter Davenport. He has a very pleasant voice to listen to. He often calls into these uh, paranormal shows like the uh, the Rents show about different sightings. And so Davenport was really uh, big into reporting the Phoenix Lights incidents that happened in the late 90s. And I know that you... Uh, had some snide comments to make about that one. Well, that's that's the one where it's the flares from the military base, and the um, and then everybody says that it's that's not what they're referring to, and they all agree that that's military flares, but it's the incident earlier that the military flares were used to cover up uh, when uh, a huge triangular craft passed over uh, Phoenix, right? And it ended up that I think that was also, uh, those are just regular conventional airplanes flying high in formation. It just looked like a giant craft because of the way they were flying, but you're not going to convince anybody about that. What we'll do is, I mean, the thing too is that the remarkable thing about the Phoenix Lines is there there's so many witnesses that there's so much video out there that there's a ton on YouTube. So I'm going to add that into the show notes. But uh, so this book is basically uh, just a compendium of over 120,000 eyewitness reports uh, who've, you know, written to both MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center uh, from 2001 to 2015. And this couple sits down and they basically collate and stick everything together and they just turn this book into, uh, you know, a book of uh, reports and findings and sort of uh, take a look at the data and, and I know that you and I had this whole discussion about how people can sort of take data and do what they want with it. So I think, you know, there's a, there is a chance to take this sort of with a grain of salt a little bit. Well, it's all basically eyewitness accounts, right? Are there, did they mention if there's pictures or anything like that? When I was reading the description of the book, is it mean to say that it sounded kind of boring? It sounded like I'd be looking at uh, graphs and charts for th- 300 pages and, and not much substance. It sounds like there's, they didn't really put any of their own commentary, right? It's all just right. Uh, Extrapolated data put into convenient. 
um, subsets of data in order for people to look through. I wonder if the first page says that people make terrible witnesses. Well, I mean, you and I both know that, you know, the human eye can be very tricky. Well, it's it's not just that. It's that whether they always talk about trained observers like uh, police officers and military personnel, but they still, we still all have the same mind that's being, that's capable of being tricked by something in the, in the sky, especially so, uh, I was telling you when I, when I come back from work, when I, the train passes by a helicopter school and, uh, a smaller airport and the helicopters there often just look like they're black dots floating in the sky. And today as I was coming home, I, I really noted that there was one that if people didn't realize there were helicopters flying around there pretty often, it looks a lot like just a black dot floating in the sky. Doesn't look like a helicopter because it's far away, but it's the the perspective of the clouds in the sky make it look like something completely bizarre. And at that distance, when it moves up and down, it looks like it's moving at a very strange rate of speed. Have you submitted an eyewitness report to move on? I have not because I'm pretty sure... It's not something unidentified. I identified it as a helicopter that's far away. So you use logic and deductive reasoning. Exactly. The thing is, is people get really excited and they say to themselves, wow, I'm seeing a UFO. I better take a picture of it. And nothing happens. They don't take a really good picture of it. Or they... uh, They get caught up in the moment and forget to a lot of the time too. Exactly. You kind of... uh, See, start seeing something that's not actually there and you tell your friend and your friend sees what you're kind of saying that they want you to want you want them to see so it becomes kind of odd that there's something in the sky but it would normally be something you would understand so another interesting thing that i did not know is that mufon has over 500 researchers helping them out and these are all volunteers oh yeah i didn't think they had the the actual budget to pay 500 people but just think about it. There are 500 people running around on their own time uh, asking the tough questions about UFO. It's two eyewitnesses who are less than uh, credible, um, unfortunately, a lot of the time just due to the nature of uh, the human experience. Is the, the 500 volunteers, are they all of MUFON? Or, because this article is basically about New York, right? New York State? Right. Um, so... I think 500 is organization-wide. Okay, and that organization's worldwide or just... uh, I know there's... I know Canada's involved somehow as well. I think it's wherever they can find investigators, really, honestly. Okay, yeah. It it just blows my mind that there's that many people doing this. I mean, like, it could be fun to do on the weekends, I guess. I guess, but I mean... Again, I said it. I would get uh, a little uh, disillusioned at a certain point because it's... you end up talking to these people that don't really know what they're talking about. Although the thing is, these 500 volunteers are probably the same type of person where they get really excited about anything and not exactly like us where we start at the point of you have to prove it to me that it's something bizarre and not something conventional. I mean, anything you know out of the ordinary is suddenly extraordinary to a lot of people. And that, that's the problem. Sort of shifting gears, though, I, I did want to bring up one of my favorite tropes about any news article about UFOs, and that is the the tough stance. Yeah, I noticed uh, they they look um, they don't look like the happiest couple there. They they seem um, well, actually no, that's not true. They they look like a happy couple. Uh, like she has her hand on her shoulder, 
but yes, they do seem to be uh, striking that tough, pensive pose of the uh, the ufology ufologist that knows exactly what they're talking about. They uh, they reminded me of that um, John Ho guy. I don't know if you know who he is. Yes. He's the uh, he's the the Nostradamus expert that they always trot out whenever they're trying to prove that Nostradamus uh, figured something out earlier when uh, it's actually just us looking back on what he said seemingly that it's uh, retrofitting yeah we retrofit our own ideas on what he said uh, onto everything every every you know every every time there's a new politician that comes up oh yeah it's about him people love Nostradamus we were supposed to blow up in 1999 right I know and I remember shortly after 9-11, you know, that was a huge topic. There were all those fake quatrains that came out. Yep, for sure. They, they were, uh, and they were being passed around uh, via email back then, 2001. No Facebook to post your garbage on. You'd pass it through uh, chain emails. Emails as well as message boards. Oh, yeah. I wasn't really on the message boards too much in 2001. I was huge into the message boards. Oh, wait. Message boards. Those were the... Um... No, those were news groups, right? Through Outlook, you used to yeah. be able to. Log but they're also they were also disseminated through news groups. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that, uh, getting emails, and then you, if you send it to ten people, though, Bill Gates would send you money. Yeah, and he wouldn't shut down your Hotmail account. Exactly. Uh, so with all these sightings, right? We have all these HD cameras in our pocket. Where are the damn videos? Right, and once again, like my whole argument is. The technology that we've uh, created um, to utilize uh, these HD videos and these cameras were created by the saucer people. So therefore, they've um, shielded themselves. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a, it's a dumb argument. Of course, I don't really believe it, but I think it's it's a fun one. I think that's the the best one to use. Like, I I agree with you. Like, listen. If there's so much going on around us and we have more cameras than ever, like consider this, like the drones, the CCTVs, everyone in their pockets has a camera. Where is all this evidence? And not a garbage grainy camera like the, the camera that is used to shoot that, that UFO, what is it, in the 50s, the one that's flying over the, the farm? Yes. You know which one I'm talking about? If you can find yeah. a picture, we can post it in the show notes, but... Uh, it's a pretty famous one. I think it was taken, they took like three pictures. And wasn't that proven to be just um, a hubcap thrown in the air? Yes. I mean, it's also like the uh, the faked alien autopsy video by Ray Santilli, right? I love that thing. That that freaked me out. And when did it come? The 90s? On Fox, of all places, of course. Uh, that really freaked me out when I was a kid. Because back then, uh, I was hardcore into Unsolved Mysteries and... Uh, the book, uh, was it Communion, where they talked about it on Unsolved Mysteries? The Willie Strieber one, right? Yeah, and The Missing Time. The, of course, what, you're a 14, 15-year-old kid. Back then, there were, what, five channels, so I'd be watching Unsolved Mysteries every Wednesday night and being scared. Like, I would never let my kid watch Unsolved Mysteries. It started when I was in grade four or five, maybe grade six, and I used to watch it with my mom. There's no way any of my kids would be watching that show at this point. I do think that specifically for the Alien Autopsy Factor Fiction special, because I think it aired on Fox, um, it was very visually striking, right? Like, it wasn't one of those Unsolved Mysteries reenactments. It was actually just this footage that had been quote-unquote found. And even though, although I know it's fake, like, just thinking of it, I'm, I'm picturing the footage. I'm getting uh, my, the hair standing up on end on my neck because it is super creepy. 
For sure. And we'll, we'll, I think we can throw up a, a link in the show notes to that, too. Uh, I find it super interesting. <laughs> I thought you were saying, I, I have, think we could throw up. I have an MPEG of it somewhere for sure. Because, um, yeah, I, I find it super interesting. But then once again, like, where's the high def footage? You know, the only high def footage I know of is for rods. And, uh, and Stan Romanek stuff. Right. The, the, well, the that, cute little yeah. alien popping up his head from behind the window. From the window, yeah, which is a famous, like, for me, whenever I see that used as a response, uh, uh, Jife on the internet, I really laugh hard. Wait, what did you just say? I said Jife. A Jife. Okay. That's weird. Do you watch, you listen to two podcasts and you say Jife. I don't know what, who I got that myself into. I actually watched a whole video about how it's, it should be pronounced and it should be pronounced Jife. Okay. It, people say GIF, GIF, and this is the first time I've heard Jife. Okay, well, clearly you're uncultured and you're a swine who spends all of his time listening to other people's ideas on podcasts. So clearly good you need to step your uh, pronunciation game up. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and this was a sighting he had, right? So what, in, what constitutes a sighting, Brian? So this is, you know, I need to stop saying this is the whole thing. Um, sightings are really hard to sort of pin down because they can be anything from I saw a dot in the sky to I spent six hours um, on a flying saucer being probed, right? Like, and there have been people that have said that, right? That they were on on a on a flight. I mean, didn't Billy Meyer uh, meet them? Yeah, they were from Venus. Is he still alive, Billy Meyer? No, he's he's long past. Okay. Well, look at the Hills, right? Like Betty and Barney Hill. They uh, like that was probably the first um, case in modern ufology, right? Uh, of people being abducted and then they were hypnotized and regressed, and suddenly it's this whole thing where. Betty got shown a star map and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, and so there's that J. Allen Hynek um, gradient, I guess, if you will, of, of close encounters, right? So from the first to the seventh, I think. Hold on, let me pull this list up. Yeah. Okay. So there's the seven. Seven is my right? favorite. So you want to go through them? So the first one is a visual setting. So someone sees a UFO. The second one is, uh, it's a UFO event in which um, some kind of physical effect is, is alleged, right? So it's either a car stopping or some kind of impression on the ground. Or my favorite is people having radiation burns. Those are great. The third one, of course, is in which a, uh, the ship comes in and an animated or living creature is present. Yeah, that, that's, that's creepy. And that's what the whole movie was based on uh, at the end, right? Because you see... Uh, the creatures coming out of the um, UFO. Right, with that little ditty that they keep playing. Oh, yeah, I love that song. And then, so beyond that, though, the fourth kind uh, is a UFO event in which someone is abducted. That's a more recent thing, right? Or the, 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 They didn't all come up with these at the same time. No, so the first three were established in the late 60s, and the rest kind of have come out over the last, I'd say, um, 25, 30 years. Yeah, and uh, this one, Jacques Vallée, is associated with it, right? Right. And he's, he's who the French uh, professor-type dude in uh, Close Encounters is based on, from what I understand. Yeah, exactly. The fifth kind, which I am going to sort of put an asterisk on for a second, I'll explain why, is a UFO event in which uh, there's direct communication between aliens and humans. And I put the asterisk there because this is created by Stephen Greer and his C-SETI group. And I don't know if you know anything about I know a lot about him. He's a nut job. Alleged nut job, I think, to in order to cover our bases there. Sorry, yes, he's an alleged nut job. He's a doctor, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And if you look at pictures of him, he kind of looks like a hybrid. <laughs> I don't know if you've realized this, but I've I've seen pictures of him. Oh yeah, look, and he's, he's not. He's like super buff. Yeah, he and he's aging oddly. I find I wouldn't trust him with uh, any of my medical issues. 
if I had any. No. Well, <laughs> well, the whole thing, too, is that he has all these stories about how he was, like, confided in by some people in the U.S. government, and then they mysteriously died, and just uh, this whole laundry list of really weird incidents. Well, look at that. He had a movie that came out in, uh, I think it's on Netflix. Serious? I watched it. Yeah, it's about the tiny little alien. And I didn't realize Thomas Jane narrated Predator, uh, Predator, not Predator, Punisher. Punisher. He narrated it? Yeah, it's uh, it's not a good documentary. Like, I watched it a couple <laughs> years ago, and let me tell you, it's... Because uh... he has this whole thing where he finds this little alien, right? And, like, everyone's like, oh, it's an alien, but it's... it's uh, the conclusion's kind of just left there. Yeah, it's uh, he's always he's the one who pushes for uh, quote unquote uh, disclosure. disclosure. There's not much to disclose. Getting back to the list though, uh, so close encounter of the sixth kind is uh, when a human or animal dies. That's a sad one. It is. That's with the the poor those poor cattle mutilated uh, things. Let me cut you off there, bro. It's not the saucer people. It's the chupacabras. Yes, I saw a whole X Files episode uh, based on a true story about the chupacabra. So to anyone who doesn't know what a chupacabra is, it's Spanish for goat sucker, and apparently it is a mythical creature that goes around sucking the blood out of uh, livestock in order to sustain itself. And they pretty much have been proven to be mangy dogs. (laughs) No, it has. It's dogs with mange, right? Because that makes the dogs lose their fur and they kind of look crazy. It's the best description. Yeah, that's absolutely what it is. And then my favorite and your favorite, apparently, is the Close Encounter of the Seventh Kind, which is uh, a human-alien hybrid, either through sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific methods. Yeah, more the latter, probably, than the, the former, but it's, uh, it, it's crazy that it's gone to that point. What's the Eighth Kind? Uh, Descendants? Opening up a Starbucks franchise, you know, in unison? Yeah, that makes sense. So sort of related to this, and it makes me laugh. So in the States, uh, the U.S. Department of Customs, uh, Immigration and Customs, sorry, so the ICE, uh, has opened up a new hotline so that people can report criminal aliens. And um, an Atlantic article just came out today by Priscilla Alvarez, which notes that a lot of people have been calling this hotline up and claiming that they see UFOs. Yeah, they were victimized by uh, extraterrestrials. I mean, good for these people to report all of these. They're helpful. You know, it's and apparently like uh, I see is not amused by this, which is not a huge soccer. But, uh, you know, you start to create a snitch line. You're going to get prank callers. Are we sure that everybody's a prank caller? It could be some flat earthers calling and uh, realizing that they've also seen some aliens. Well, yeah, just why, why not add that to the grab bag of, you know, things that are going on? So, yeah, so the uh, so this is like it's this new office called Voice, right? So it's the Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement Office. And, yeah, they keep getting these calls about UFOs, which I think is great. I think more people should call in. And that acronym, uh, do you think they came up with voice first and fit it to fit voice? Or did they kind of, did it happen organically? Knowing this administration, I feel like they probably came up with the acronym first and then decided to... To backtrack on it. Okay, makes sense. Because I feel like it was a haphazard attempt. And of course, when you have haphazard attempts at things, people are going to call you and tell you that there's aliens out there. There's going to be no deal with the aliens. No. The, the, how do you build a wall against space? No, you can't. It's a, you have to you build can't. a dome at that point, not a wall. Reagan tried to with the Star Wars program. And look where that went. I know. We got the prequels. Double density. Welcome back to the last segment here on episode two of the Double Density Podcast. And uh, we'd like to give a little bit of a shout out to someone uh, that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, I would say that he is a hero of mine. 
I don't know how you would characterize him, but I feel like he has been very pertinent in my personal development as a human being. He's another one of the early viral videos on YouTube. Right, so we're talking about Tay and his infamous slash famous uh, uh, Diddy Chocolate Rain. So Chocolate Rain just turned 10 years. Um, and then uh, I feel like it, it spawned one of the earlier internet memes, right? Yes, of course, especially with the whole I back away from the microphone to breathe thing. That was kind of odd. So uh, yeah, with Chocolate Rain, he uh, would step away from the microphone to breathe. That was kind of the, one of the fun memes that came out of it. Uh, was he parodied on South Park? I'm sure he was. Yeah, he was. He was one of the people that uh, became internet famous to make money. They were making no money from being internet famous. I can't remember exactly how that worked. Well, it was this weird thing. It was a weird time where you couldn't really monetize your videos, but he got invited to places like the Google offices in order to perform. I think he was on Jimmy Kimmel. Like, there's a, like it elevated him um, a lot. And I think that like it's a very interesting video because there's no real... Uh, the way that people who know these things uh, have counted... So it's 23 different stanzas. Wow. Of, of him saying things, you know, and if you head over to, to the genius.com annotation, it makes no sense. Um, it almost feels like a freeform uh, piece of poetry that we're just being subjected to. It's not the regular uh, actual format of a, of, a, of a pop song, right? Right. It's just, and I think it's just a looping piano over and over again. There's not much of a bridge or, or actual chorus or anything. It's just... Well, I mean, the chorus is Chocolate Rain, but it's more of a refrain almost yeah. instead of a chorus. Yeah. An odd little song, but uh, it, it, it made him famous uh, or infamous. Here's a question for you: Did the song make him famous, or did his voice make him famous? I think it's the whole actual package, his look as well, right? He seemed dorky. Is that the right thing yeah, to say? Yeah, I would, I would nerdy. describe I mean, Tia as dorky. Yeah, but he see. But the thing is, he's. He's a very nice-looking dork. He seems very friendly, very sincere. Not, he didn't look like a bad dude. He seemed like a nice, not a bad hombre. He didn't seem like a, a he seemed like an, an okay person trying to trying his best to to put a song on YouTube. Then he actually just recently re-uploaded uh, him uh, doing a new version of Chocolate Rain where he sits there. He looks like he has one of those super uh, comfortable ergonomic gamer chairs. I saw. He has a he has a blazer over his like white shirt. Like he's he's evolved. Yeah, and it's it's called the acoustic version, but he's playing on a synth. Yeah, so someone needs to teach him how to name things. I can't believe we've talked this much about Chocolate Rain. Chocolate Rain. That's pretty good. <laughs> We've lasted a whole lot longer than a lot of people have uh, when discussing the ins and outs of Chocolate Rain and the theories as to why uh, it went viral. So I'm proud of us. Double Density. So this has been episode two of the Double Density Podcast. And tune in next week as we discuss uh, ways in which Angelo will need help gardening. Thanks and see ya. Bye. <laughs>